This week's Parsha is called Parshas Shemini, which means the eighth day. And what's the eighth day? It's the eighth day from the um, from the inauguration of the Mishkan, the sanctuary in the desert. So we're actually going back in time. Last week's Parsha was on the... Um, I can't remember now. Last week's Parsha took us a few, I think, I think a month ahead. And now we're going back in time. We're going back in time to um, Rosh Chodesh Nisan again, which is the month we're in now. Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first of the month of Nisan, which was when the, the, the Mishkan was finally inaugurated. And we're able to finally begin doing services, and it was literally like the Talmud says, it was like creation of the world all over again. Because the, the sanctuary was a microcosm of reality. And on that day, a tragedy took place, which we're not going to talk about too, in too much in depth tonight. I was initially planning on talking about it, and I thought I'd given a class on it last year, which I think I did, and I looked at my notes, and there's nothing there. So that was very disturbing. But I do have material on this week's Parsha. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about it again. So we're going to come back to this. But on that day, a tragedy took place, which was that Aaron, the Kohen, the high priest's two sons, Nadav and Avihu, died tragically on that day. The Torah says that they brought a strange fire that they were not commanded to bring, and their souls literally were burned up. Okay, so we have to understand what that means. And I'm going to touch on it a little bit maybe tonight, but not in depth. We'll come back to it. And then the Torah jumps for the rest of the Parsha, basically, talking about kosher animals. These are the animals you can eat, and these are the animals you can't eat. And it goes through mammals, and uh, I mean animals that you can and cannot eat. The laws of kosher mammals, which are, does anyone know? Kosher mammals? Which ones are kosher? Choose its cud and no, 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 close, no, split hooves, very good, split hooves and choose its cud. And uh, Julie, there are some, some rabbinic signs that do have to do with horns and things like that, but the, biblically, um, those are just additional signs. But biblically speaking, it is split hooves and chewing its cud that makes an animal kosher. All other mammals are not kosher. When it comes to fish, what types of fish are kosher? And scales and can't be good. Why? Because they don't have. Matt, that's why you need a few more months in yeshiva. You got to know this stuff. Fins and scales. Fins and scales. Excluding bottom feeders, eels, crayfish. Sorry, Akiva. Our crayfish is not kosher. Um, eels, sharks, catfish, swordfish, stuff like that. Okay. And uh, unfortunately for everyone from Maryland, not of you are, but for the Marylanders and the uh, 
I think the uh, the Russians, no shrimp, no crabs, none of that stuff. All right. Now, what about insects? That's it. Just locusts. There's certain types of grasshoppers that are kosher, certain times that are not. All other creepy collies are not kosher. That includes reptiles, amphibians, snakes, bugs, you name it. Birds. Turkey's not so simple, actually. Some say that turkey's not allowed. Most say it is. So, what's the law for birds? The answer is that there are, in this week's Parsha, there are, I think, 21 birds that are mentioned as not being kosher. All other birds are kosher. So only the birds that are not mentioned in the Torah... The only ones that are mentioned in the Torah are not kosher. The problem is we don't know which they are. So therefore we only eat birds that we have a tradition to eat. And that's the same? Yes. No, they're mentioned by name, but we don't 100% know which is which. Right? We have a general idea, but we're not, right? we're not 100% sure which is which. So the answer is the only birds you're allowed to eat are birds that you have a tradition that are kosher. And the same thing with grasshoppers, for example. Grasshoppers are eaten in many, uh, many countries in the world, but most Jews have lost the tradition for grasshoppers. There are only a few Jews that still eat grasshoppers, and that is Yemenite Jews and maybe Moroccan Jews. Matt, Tunisian Jews, you ever had a grasshopper? Uh, Egyptian? Algeria? Oh, Libya. <laughs> well, I heard they're good. I heard they taste like popcorn mixed with fish. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> yum, popcorn and fish. <laughs> All right, so... There happens to be there is another a, a rabbinic the the Talmud tells us a sign to know whether or not a bird is kosher is if it claws its prey then it's not kosher if it's a clawing animal so essentially the birds that are kosher are non predatory and non scavenger birds okay what a, and so we have the, so that's basically what the Torah says. And now at the end of this, going through all the different animals, it says a crazy thing. Ki ani Hashem, because I am Hashem, hamala eschem eretz who took you up from the land of Israel to be a God for you. I mean, from the land, who took you up from the land of Egypt to be a God to you. And you should be holy because I am holy. And Rashi tells us in the name of the Talmud, that Hashem is saying, if only for this, that you should eat kosher animals and not eat creepy crawlies and disgusting animals, it would have been enough of a reason to take you out of Egypt. Just for this. This reason alone is why it took you out of Egypt or would have been enough reason to take you out of Egypt. And it also says the word mala, who took you up 
from Egypt means to elevate you. And it says, because through this, you will be elevated above the other nations of the world who eat creepy crawlies. So, Shkatsim Ramazim. Like a Sheket is a disgusting thing, creepy crawly. So, we were not commanded not to. No, so this was enough of a reason to take us out of Egypt just to give us the commandment of keeping kosher. So what's so special about the mitzvah of keeping kosher? Why do we have an obligation to keep kosher? And I want to try to answer it. I'm going to give you first a simple explanation, and then we'll try to go a little deeper, see how the Shemaya, if it works out. But uh, simple, simple explanation. What animals do we not eat? Mammals. What is the category of things that we eat in mammals and the category of things that we don't eat? What type of animals do we eat? Very good. Excellent. Sheep, goats, cow, they're more or less docile animals. They chew their cud. That means they have very simple stomachs. That means they don't eat garbage. They eat grass and grain. That is what they eat. They are simple animals. They don't have they have split hooves, which means their their hooves are not so strong for kicking like a horse or running. They're very weak hooved animals and very weak stomached animals, so to speak. Okay, what about fish? We said not bottom feeders, lobsters, crabs, shrimp otherwise known as the garbage men of the ocean, scavengers, and not sharks, eels, octopus, the hunters of the ocean. So again, we're eating simple non-predatory, although all fish are predators, they eat other fish for the most part. They're not hunting animals. They're not aggressive animals. When it comes to birds, birds that don't aren't birds of prey and aren't scavengers. So you see the theme here is the Ramban tells us, famous Nachmanides, that you are what you eat. If you eat wild animals, it's going to make you more of a wild person. That animals have the ability to thicken the blood and disconnect us from spirituality because they're such gruff beings. So too cows, but they're a little, even though cows are very, very big, thick animals, they're a little bit, maybe more docile, although I have a problem with this because we know that bulls fight in, the, in Spain and bulls can be very aggressive, but I believe that's when they're coerced, that they themselves don't go looking for fights. Yes, Matt. Ah, what does that mean? Very good. Excellent. Great, great. So what's your question? 
Matt, you're just setting me up for the next part of this discussion. Why do we eat animals at all? Why do, why do we eat animals at all, Matt's saying? Because if animals in general are very animalistic and they feed our animalistic side, because a human being, as we've discussed many times, is made up of a body and a soul. The body is an animal. We have an, a nefesh habahamas, an, an animalistic soul, which is drawn towards physical animalistic desires. So why should we eat animals at all? And that's that's the topic of tonight's discussion. So, so we explained one explanation of why we eat the animals that we eat that they're more they're less animalistic perhaps in certain ways or less aggressive. But let's try to come to it from a different direction. Okay, God willing, why do we eat animals at all? So, if we look at the text of the Torah itself, are people supposed to eat animals or not? What do you say? Why? How do you know that? Okay. Excellent. So let's look at the the first place where food is mentioned in the Torah. It says when Adam is created and I'll share it with you in the chat. And God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it, the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the sky and over all the beasts that tread upon the earth. This is often, this quote is often used by environmentalists to show that Judaism is anti the environment that we're supposed to rule over the animals and subdue them, that that is Western man, so to speak, uh, license to destroy the world. And that is absolutely not true. Because let's look at the next verse. Behold, I have given you every seed-bearing herb, which is upon the surface of the entire earth, and every tree that has seed-bearing fruit, it will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the fowl of the heavens and everything that moves in the earth, and with that which there is a living spirit, every green herb to eat. And it was so. That's right. So we are not permitted, human beings were not permitted originally to eat meat. So it's very interesting. And now let's take a look at the next discussion of the creation of Adam. And we'll see something else interesting. Um, let's see if I can find it. Here we go. So what is the subduing of the earth if not eating it? What does it mean that, oh, we have, a, we have an animal joining us. What does it mean to, uh, what's your animal's name? What? King. Well, the animal is ruling over us. <laughs> so, the animal is king. So, that's a cute dog. Here, see the dog? So, next, the Torah continues and says, Now the Lord God took the Adam and he placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to guard it. Stop. What is What does it mean when it said that Adam has to rule over the earth?
Okay. So, so what's his job? What's Adam's job? It says it right here. Take a look. Just take a look at what I put. I printed. I printed too much. Just the first line. Adam's job is to work and to guard the Garden of Eden. His job is to cultivate the earth. His job is to protect the earth. He's the steward over the animals. He has responsibility over the animal kingdom to guide them and to uplift them, but not to destroy them. When it says subdue them, it doesn't mean to conquer the world in an aggressive or a negative way. It means to be responsible, to responsibly uplift the world. That's the job of Adam. Okay? So now comes Noah. We all know the story of Noah and the flood and the ark and the animals and the twosies and the they go in, into the ark and God brings a floody floody and and everyone is destroyed except for Noah and his animals. And then he comes out of the ark and God says, Now you are permitted to eat meat. Why? What changed? Why is Adam suddenly allowed to eat meat? So, one amazing explanation that I heard um, is that before, when Adam was created, he was on a very high spiritual level. And he recognized his role as the steward of the earth, as that which is above the animal kingdom, whose job it is to uplift and connect the spirituality, the animal kingdom. When the generation of Noah came, people fell to a very base physical level. They became very indulged and steeped in physical desires to the point that they essentially became human animals. They lived their lives following after their animalistic desires. So at that point, God says, now you're allowed to eat meat. Why? Not because you're you're allowed to eat meat to remind you that you are above the animals. You're different than an animal. You're not an animal. And the fact that you can eat meat is a reminder that you have a responsibility to the entire world. You're allowed to eat, but eat responsibly. Don't eat and drive. Right? We have to eat responsibly. What does that mean? So the Talmud says very clearly that someone who's not a learned Torah scholar should not eat meat. <laughs> That's right. Talmud says it. If you're not a Torah scholar, you shouldn't eat meat. Talmud also says that if you're extremely hungry, you shouldn't eat meat. You should first eat bread, satiate yourself, and then eat meat like a mensch. When you're not starving. <laughs> uh oh. Passover, God, after Passover, God redeemed us from carbohydrates. <laughs> so, so what, what's the big deal? And, and there are those that say, the, especially, especially many Kabbalists, who'd only eat meat on Shabbos. What's the idea? So, I'm going to try to explain it to you as follows, that how is it, and this is a very strange thing if you think about it, 
how is it that we get our life force comes from plants and animals and nutrients is that strange how does it how what's the connection how does our life come about by eating these things so the yeah So we need to we need to get life from other life, but what about like minerals and stuff that's inside things that we eat? It's not really the life force that we're eating. Like a plant is a plant alive in the sense that you're getting you're getting life from it. All right. Okay. Well, we kind of can, right? No, can't you can't you eat? vitamins and like uh protein shakes it has to have something organic there has to be something organic in there okay i hear that that's interesting so so according to kabbalah the answer is as follows and it says in the torah that not from bread alone does a person live ella from the rather from that which comes out of the mouth of god does a person live so the kabbalistic explanation is that in each and everything there is a spark of godliness hidden in that thing and it is through that spirituality of the thing that's what gives us life because that attaches the body to the soul it's through nourishing really the soul taking out the spirituality and there's a concept of lifting up the sparks of holiness that's hidden inside the an, an animate world, the physical world. Um, according to Kabbalah, when God created the world, the original world he created was called the world of Tohu, the world of chaos. And in that world of chaos, there was more... Now, in each thing, according to Kabbalah, in each experience... The way that the world is built is through something called light, oros, and kalim, vessels. Light and vessels. The light is the spirituality. The vessel is the thing that contains that spirituality. The idea and the, the vehicle to express the idea. The thought and the words. Words are vessels to express thought. All right? So every single thing, the body is a vessel that contains with it, in it, the soul. So... Each thing is made up of light and vessels. The very first world that God created was more light than vessels. And what happens if you try to put something really big into something very small? It breaks. That's called the, the breaking of the vessels. That the original vessels that God created could not contain the light and they shattered and they scattered incredibly high pieces of light all over the universe. So it's interesting, the Big Bang, right? Uh, an explosion of sorts. So we, we believe that the spiritual world began also with an explosion of light. And this incredible high source fell to a very low place in this process. So the explanation of why that was necessary is because our world, which is called the world of Tikkun, the world of fixing, the world of order, takes place in in a descending order that there's a very high spirituality which encloses itself in a vessel which then becomes the light of a no a lower level 
which encloses itself in another vessel, then becomes the light of a lower level, which encloses itself in another vessel, until you get to this world, which is the world of action. The world where the, the light is very hidden in a lot of coarse vessels. That's this world. So why did the original world have to explode and shatter sparks of light all over the universe? Because I just saw a metaphor that if you're trying to explain an idea to a kid and you're an incredible scientist, if you're Albert Einstein, you're trying to explain to an eight-year-old kid how uh, E equals MC squared. So you have to enclose that idea in many, many, many layers of metaphor before the kid's able to understand it. And that's, that's the scent of godliness into this world. But you can never explain E equals MC squared to your foot. Your foot can never understand E equals MC squared. <laughs> because you can't enclose an idea in physicality. It's not possible. It, they're two different, completely different languages. So God wanted to share that incredible high spiritual levels, not only through the intellect, but also through the actual physical world. And he did that by shattering the vessels and throwing spirituality into the into the actual tangible existence that we live in. So it's the highest level stuff exists in the coarsest vessels of this world. That's the shattered vessels of the previous world. So the more physical a thing is in this world actually comes from a higher source. Okay, so rocks, which are the most physical things, actually are made up of the most spiritual source. Plants are a little more less physical, come from a slightly lower. Animals come from an even lower source, and human beings do not come from that world at all. Human beings come from the next level of creation, which is an even lower level. So we are actually from a lower source than plants and animals and rocks. That's what Kabbalah teaches. And that's why we're able to get energy and life force from these seemingly lower entities because they're actually higher than us. They're actually rooted in a higher source in, in, term, in their spiritual light that they possess within them. Okay? Are you with me as much as possible? Yes. Um, that's a great question. I probably will. I don't know. Like if a plant eats a bug? Well, plants do sometimes eat bugs, but it's very rare. <laughs> so it usually doesn't work that way, right? Plants get energy from the thing that's lower than them. Plants get nutrients from the water. dirt water. and from water. And animals get their nourishment from plants. And, and people get their nourishment from animals, plants, and minerals. But animals sometimes eat people. Right. That's why I just said it. It does happen. Uh, it's a good question. I don't know. If, I don't know what happens if an animal eats a person. But um, at the end of the day, they're eating the physical. They're eating the physical. So, do animals get their sustenance from the spiritual sparks in the food they eat? Or are they getting their nourishment from the physical of it? So, I'm not sure. 
right? But as a human being, because we have a soul, which is on a much higher level than the type of soul that an animal has, so we need to be nourished spiritually. So, not pushing you off, but I don't have an answer. This, by the way, all the stuff I'm talking about today is way above my pay grade. I don't really understand what I'm telling you. So, um, that's right. So, so why? So human beings are initially commanded to eat vegetables and fruit. Why? Because their source is on a much more spiritual level than that of animals. It's very dangerous to eat an animal because an animal can pull you down. It can pull you down into its physicality. Even though the soul of the animal, the light that's inside the animal is from a higher source than a human being, the body of the animal is very coarse and very physical. So it's very dangerous. So originally commanded to eat just vegetables. But because Adam was on a higher spiritual level, he was able to lift up this, the physical world and connect it to its creator without consuming it. But after the sin of Adam and then later on the generation of Noah, we fell farther from that spiritual level. Now we're commanded that the only way to lift up nature is by consuming it because we don't have the ability to do it just through our actions. We have to make it part of us. So when we eat an animal, we literally have in us, think about this, a cow ate thousands and thousands and thousands of tons of grass. And that grass received gallons and gallons and gallons of rainwater and sunlight and nutrients from the ground. So when you eat that cow, you're literally taking within your body millions of pounds and gallons of energy that came from the entire world from the sun, from the rain, from the minerals, from the grass that was inside that cow. So you literally have within you the entire world inside you. Now when you take that cow into your body, you now have a tremendous responsibility to lift up all of the elements of the world and to not let them pull you down. If you eat that cow and you use the energy that's inside that cow to do negative things, or if you eat it like an animal eats, just focusing purely on the food, filling your physical desires. So you're not only like an animal, you're worse than an animal because you have a godly soul. You have the ability to do things with intention and mindfulness and instead you're eating like an animal, stuffing your face with a cow like, an anim- like a cow. So you're essentially destroying the world. But if you eat that cow and you do something good, you learn Torah, you do mitzvahs, you focus on self-improvement, you eat with mindfulness, you make a blessing, you say thank you, you're now uplifting all the sparks of holiness that's within all that food and returning it to its source. The purpose of creation is that Adam was created to guard and to protect and to work the garden, to literally lift up the world and bring it back to its source in godliness, to see the, find the holy sparks, the sparks of divinity that are scattered throughout the world. He could have done it intellectually. We can only do it physically now. And the, that's the purpose of Torah and mitzvah. Mitzvahs are to literally take physical objects and utilize them for spirituality. And eating is 
basically the most spiritual thing you can do. Short of one other thing. Because you're literally taking into you, you're becoming one with all the aspects of energy in this world, and now you have the ability to literally lift it all up by lifting yourself up. Got that? It's heavy. But I want you to know, don't think that you're off the hook if you become a vegetarian. Because you know what? According to Kabbalah, if you eat a carrot irresponsibly, you're just as guilty. You haven't destroyed as many worlds as you did if you killed a cow, which is a living being, and you and then you took all the energy in the cow and you did nothing with it. That's really bad. But to take a carrot and eat irresponsibly is also not okay. Because that carrot also has life force in it and spirituality in it. In fact, there are reincarnated souls in the food that we eat. There are souls that came into this world to get their tikkun, to be uplifted through someone eating them properly. And if you eat it improperly, so those souls have to come back again. But now it's your fault. That's a lot. That's very heavy. So it's forbidden, according to the Torah, to waste food. Right. Don't destroy. Don't destroy the world. You're not allowed to chop down fruit-bearing trees. I mean, there's ways around it that we do if we have to, but you're really not supposed to chop down fruit-bearing trees. So, so we have to literally uplift. And now we can understand why it says, this is why I elevated you from the land of Egypt. God's saying it's through the eating that we have the ability to elevate ourselves. Not only ourselves, but the entire world. So now, so is eating animals ideal? The answer is yes and no. If you eat irresponsibly, no. If you eat responsibly, it's now the ideal way to uplift the world. It's the ideal way, but only someone who's learned, someone who eats with mindfulness, someone who doesn't let the food control them, but they control the food. And so we make blessings before we eat to stop and say, I'm eating now with mindfulness. I'm not going to stuff my face. I'm going to first say thankful. Thank you. And then I'm going to stuff my face. No, I'm going to say thankful. Thank you. And then I'm going to in, eat with and, and recognize the fact that there are holy sparks in this food. I'm going to be thankful for the taste of the food, which is really in the nutrition of the food. I'm going to use the food for good things. So that's, that's, that's the idea. And then... Why do we eat kosher food? Because there are certain foods, so like we said, that animals are from a lower spiritual source than plants and animals. So the physicality in it, even though it's from a higher source than us, but the it has the ability to pull us down because of the physicality that in this world, that it manifests itself in a more uh, enclosed vessel than, than us. So there are certain animals that we don't have the ability to uplift those sparks. They're, they're not, it's not a level that we have the ability to uplift. And those are the non-kosher animals. So the word for something that's forbidden in Hebrew, Matt, is asur. Asur literally, the Tanya explains, means bound, tied up. Because the sparks inside that food that are forbidden are tied up. We don't have the ability to access them. But the Talmud says... That the word pig in Hebrew, chazir, chazer means pig, also means to return. The Talmud says that when Mashiach comes in the future, that pig will become kosher. 
it'll return to become a kosher because then we'll have the ability to uplift them. However, I will note that on the other hand, there are some rabbis that say that in the future when Messianic era comes, we'll become vegetarians again. But uh, it all depends on how you look at it. Right? So that is my two cents today to share with you on some of the deeper ideas behind keeping kosher and eating meat and or not eating meat. And um, just to tie it into the Parsha real quick, the Parsha is called Shemini, which means eight. And the number eight, as we'll discuss many times in the next few weeks, the number eight in Kabbalah represents the spiritual world. Because the number seven represents the world of nature, completion of the world of nature. Seven days of the week, seven continents, seven notes of the musical scale, seven colors in the rainbow, distinct colors in the rainbow, I should say. Seven represents the physical world, seven seas, seven orifices, seven is the physical world. But eight represents that which is above spiritual. That's the symbol for infinity, which is the 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 eternal, infinite, non-physical world. So and that's the that's the, symbolized by the completion of the Mishkan, the sanctuary, which is a completion of the physical world, and then this is one day later. This is the next day after the sanctuary was completed. So, eight represents that which is beyond nature, the supernatural world. The sons of Aaron, who passed away on this day, and we'll discuss them in more depth in a few weeks, offered a strange fire. And most of the commentaries explain that what happened to them is they were so spiritual that their souls literally got burned up within them because they desired to connect to God in such a spiritual way that their body couldn't hold on to the light of the experience. The light was greater than the vessel, and they experienced the shattering of the vessel. Literally, their souls were burned up and burned them up from within. It's the exact concept that we discussed a few minutes ago. And um, in our own life, we experience this this experience. What it, what is the experience of shattering of a vessel in our own life? Psychologically, what is that state? Yeah. Okay, if you try to if you try to elevate yourself to a new level and you jump too far, you take on too much too fast. It's overwhelming, you become overwhelmed by the experience you have a panic attack right a panic attack or some sort of certain um psychotic states right or certain like highs are too much it's overwhelming i'm overwhelmed i can't handle this and your vessel breaks so according to according to judaism the way to grow is baby steps always try to take baby steps because we always have to build our vessel and then receive a little more light. Build our vessel, receive a little more light. If you don't have a vessel for the experience, then the light can't, you can't hold on to it. And that's the problem with drugs. We'll talk about drugs another time. I have a whole class on drugs, right? Because drugs give you, they lift you up too much. They give you too much of a spiritual high. You can't hold on to the experience. Your vessel gets shattered. And uh, somebody asked me today, one second,
One second, what were we just talking about? Drugs, baby steps. Okay, I forgot. But uh, that's essentially the uh, the lesson from this week's Parsha, is take baby steps and learn to elevate yourself through the physical actions of your life. If you want to grow in life, you have to learn to take your inspiration and put it into action. And that's literally what the Spheres of Omer Julia, to answer your question, is all about. Sphiris Omer, the counting of the Omer cycle, is about taking the inspiration of Passover and counting each day, putting it into a vessel. Take the light and put it into a vessel in a very small way. And each week, we're trying to refine ourselves on a different spiritual level. And I will hopefully post something on it shortly, and I'll share that with you another time.